So we're going to be in Romans chapter 4 just for a handful of verses today uh, as we uh, continue on a course looking at justification by faith apart from the law. This is what Paul had been talking about toward the end of Romans chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible ready, I encourage you to go ahead and open it to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to look just for a second. I'm going to uh, uh, quote a passage from uh, Romans 3, verse 28, and then kind of move into Romans chapter 4. Now, uh, Paul says here in Romans 3, 28, Therefore we conclude... Our conclusion after considering these things, all the things he's been talking about and will continue to talk about in further detail, but this we conclude, uh, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, there could probably not be any stronger statement of the place of law and grace in regard to salvation. Clearly, salvation is that which is given to us by God's grace. It's appropriated by faith. And as we'll see today, the act of faith is not really an act at all, per se, not in the sense of a work, uh, as is, um, you know, as could be confused. We'll see that in a moment. But we understand by Paul's conclusion of the matter, his, his reaching, uh, yeah, reaching, I mean, he did reach the understanding, but here he's sharing that understanding that justification comes by faith apart from the law. Now, as we mentioned before, and we'll no doubt mention many times uh, after this, that that truth is extremely liberating. Uh, it is freeing for those who, who labor under the weight of the law, feeling like they somehow need to earn God's favor through their merits. This word completely upends that thinking and as a result brings freedom and liberation. This is the Son setting somebody free and making them free indeed. Through his finished work on the cross, the appropriating of that finished work, that merit that Christ accomplished, his meritorious act on the cross in our stead, We've quoted a thousand times recently, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And here in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, we conclude, therefore, that a, uh, that, <clears throat> that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. The dogs give a hearty amen. So here we go. Chapter 4, we're going to look really just at a handful of verses here as we continue to make this point. Um, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So, again, reinforcing this idea, Abraham, who as we know came 400 plus years prior to Moses and the law, Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, we read about the law being given in Exodus hundreds of years later. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, <clears throat> this is really, really important, because what that tells us is, is that before the law was ever codified, before it was ever officially given there at Sinai, before the chosen people of God even existed to give them the law, Abraham, their father, is in fact the progenitor not just of, of the Hebrew people, but the example of one who is saved by faith, by God's grace. Uh, the law never came to Abraham, but rather he was saved simply by believing God, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was made righteous through his faith. 
an enormous point. Again, um, you know, from a theological standpoint, we we're going to continue to go on and explain and talk about these things. But again, just on a personal note, uh, the weight and burden and 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 heft of trying to live up to the law is 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 so overwhelmingly um, crushing that to find out that it is actually by faith is intended to let the the weight be lifted, uh, to take the new yoke upon us. Uh, Jesus, interestingly, on that note, just to finish that thought, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, that idea of, of by faith, following uh, Jesus, trusting in him alone for our salvation, eliminates the burden and weight of trying to earn our salvation. Uh, that we often associate with the idea of how we're saved, that we earn it somehow through our our efforts and our works. This, again, is Paul's main thrust as we make our way through this book, is to make the point that it is not by the works of the law, but rather one is justified by faith apart from the law. Um, <clears throat> I guess I should mention that, you know, in 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 one uh, in the in the sense of the law being given on Mount Sinai, where it's literally written in stone. That's where we get that expression: the idea of the law written in stone by God given to Moses. That is a point in, in Israel's history. Right after they are delivered from Egypt, uh, they go to Sinai. They get the law. They 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 become God's chosen, you know, people and all this kind of a thing. Or I, probably a better way to put that is that they agree to walk in His ways according to His law and that kind of thing to demonstrate that that He's their God and they're His people. That doesn't mean that people never had any sense or understanding of things that may have been right or wrong. For example. Um, even in uh, in Genesis, when Noah takes the uh, when the animals come to to Noah and he puts them in the ark, you've got the various clean animals and the various unclean animals. Well, that's an interesting hint because clean and unclean was was part of the law's explanation that that hadn't been given yet. But Noah had some understanding of that. So that's not to say that there was nothing that God had made known to people in general, uh, uh, those that He had had spoken to, whether it be again Noah or Abraham or any of the others that. Uh, interacted with God personally, starting with Adam. It's not that God never made anything known. Of course, we know even as far back as Adam uh, and Eve, we know that God told them they could eat of any of the trees in the garden, just not this one. And so even early on, there's this introduction of the idea that there's standards that God has for obedience and disobedience. So we understand all that. We're not in, in saying that the law came later. It's not to say that there was never any understanding of what was right and wrong. Again, we just made the whole argument about conscience a couple of episodes back, and so God has given us that. But even beyond our conscience, God had spoken to mankind to a point, but had never officially given a law to his chosen people until much later. Now, the problem with having received the law is that they believed that this was how they became righteous. Uh, and this is where I'd like us to turn to Galatians chapter 3. I quote this somewhat regularly, and so I'd like to just turn to the passage here and read it. Uh, by now, hopefully some of you have read it, as we mentioned in the past. By the way, thank you for your prayers again, as I was sick a little bit last week. Still a little bit dry, but by and large feeling a lot better. So, okay, so here, again, Paul writing in Galatians chapter 3, talking about the idea of the law and really expressing for us the whole reason why the law was given. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 19 of chapter 3 in Galatians. For what purpose then does the law serve? 
it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through an angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, by the way, Paul has already made the idea, uh, the case, that the promise was made to a seed. In other words, not seeds, plural, but seed, singular. He actually makes an entire argument about how the promise was made ultimately to the one who would fulfill the promise on behalf of God's people, and really not just God's people, Israel, but all of those who would ultimately come by faith. And so that promise, the idea of the law being given until the seed would come, that one that was promised, and ultimately fulfill the purpose of redeeming mankind and fulfilling the law actually as well himself. So, the law was given, it was added for the sake of transgressions. And as we have spoken of in the past, I'll just reiterate, the law was given to describe, point out, express, give clarity to the idea of what was in fact sin. What, what does it mean to violate God's law? We might understand it by conscience, but God actually gave a law to help expose what sin actually is. Uh, therefore, you shall not steal, you shall not kill, you shall not com- uh, uh, commit uh, adultery, you, may not, you, you shall not bear false witness, uh, I'm the Lord your God, you shall know God's before me, and so on. We have all of these laws that God has given, and it was given so that there would be clarity brought to why, or uh, not why, but what sin was. What, how do I know for sure I'm violating God's law? Well, he has explained that now in the law. But the law was given until... In other words, there was a point, a purpose, uh, a point, I should say, uh, at which point the law would have satisfied its purpose, and that was when the seed, Christ, ultimately came. Uh, God, in the flesh, coming as a man, ultimately to take our sin upon himself, I'll quote it a second time in this one episode, he, be, he who knew no sin, Christ himself, became sin on our behalf, our sinful selves. He took that upon himself and rather gave us the righteousness of God in him. And he made us the righteousness of God in him. And so this is the, the idea of the law being given to a point for a point, and then ultimately would be satisfied in, this, in the finished work of Christ or the seed. Uh, and again, just to finish the passage, uh, uh, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through uh, angels by the hand of a mediator, uh, now, the mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? No, certainly not. For had there been, uh, if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. In other words, if it were possible that a law could come that would give us life, then that would have been the means through which God saved us. But Paul's point is that there isn't one. Now, we've said before, that the problem is not so much with the law. The law is perfect. It's beautiful. It's high. It's lofty. It's an expression of God's holiness and as perfect character and nature in that. The problem is that we can't keep it. We are sinful by nature, and we can't keep the law, uh, and therefore we can't be saved by it. So the law itself, and there is no law that could give life. So therefore, the idea is that the law does not, cannot give life. So how do we receive life? Well, he goes on, but the scripture has confined all under sin. Again, there's our great dilemma and predicament so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, we receive through belief in Christ himself, the one who satisfied the righteous requirements of the law, the propitiation for our sins, as we said last time. He accomplishes this that we might be free 
by faith, receiving this promise by faith, receiving the gift of salvation by faith. It cannot come through the law, so therefore it must come by faith uh, for those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept uh, for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. So the law is now, it's, uh, Paul is now explaining what the law was given for. It exposes sin, and it also, as he says, ultimately keeps us under guard until uh, ultimately uh, the idea of being saved by faith would be revealed in Christ. Therefore, verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the law was given by God to sort of keep us under guard. We recognize what sin is. We understand it. We know it. And as we mentioned before, it's not just that we know what sin is, but we begin to ultimately realize, oh my gosh, I, I can't keep the law of God. I am too rooted in sin. I, I don't have any ability ultimately to break free of this. I'm condemned by this. Well, the law holds us under guard by teaching us that. And it ultimately teaches us that so that when Christ comes, we would look to him as the answer to our problem, as the great solution and savior to our dilemma and our deadness and sin. And so now that, the, now that faith has come, there's no longer a need for the tutor. So the law has now served its purpose in leading us to Christ and helping us to recognize our need for him and our hopelessness, our hopeless estate. Now that Christ has come, the law has been satisfied. It has done what it was supposed to do. This is the great message of the gospel of grace, is that it is not by works of the law, but rather by faith. And I'll sum up here today uh, by pointing us to a couple of passages here. While we're in Galatians, let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. Any of you who've been uh, kind of watching or listening to these, uh, these posts for any length of time have heard these passages many, many times. Well, if you've never underlined these passages or highlighted them or however you mark your Bible to, um, you know, to help you in the process of remembering these passages, let me invite you to do that now in verse uh, 20 and 21 of Galatians chapter 2. Let me read it for you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in other words, I am now dead. I'm only alive in Christ, but I have died now with Christ. The old self put behind me doesn't mean I never sinned, doesn't mean I'm still not wrestling with the flesh, but now I have life in Christ by which I ultimately live. And he goes on to finish the thought in verse 21, where he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain, or he died needlessly. There was no reason for him to die if, in fact, I could be made righteous through the law. As a matter of fact, he continues the thought by going on and saying, are, are you so foolish to think that what was begun in the Spirit can now be satisfied or finished or fulfilled in the flesh? Since you're saved by faith, by God's grace, what place does works have in regard to salvation? None. It's, it's entirely by grace. Therefore, there is no completing it through the works of the law. It's entirely by faith. Now, we've mentioned before, just, just so we don't get the idea that, oh, then let's just throw away holy living or anything like that. 
No, uh, in Romans 6, we'll get there eventually, where Paul sort of asks rhetorically that question, says, well, should we therefore sin the more that grace might abound the more? Earlier he said, well, why would God condemn me if my sinful acts ultimately, you know, demonstrate the purpose of the law and such? You know, it's, well, why not sin? That's the whole purpose of the law and grace, right? To, to expose my sin and ultimately to cover my sin. Paul says, no, God forbid we should think that way. May it never be so. Nobody who really recognizes uh, let me put it this way. If the law was meant to point out to us our sinfulness and our hopelessness and our absolute destitute condition, that's what the law was for. Well, if the law has done its job, and if we have allowed it to do its job, then we understand that we are hopelessly lost, destitute, dead in our sin, hopeless. And then grace came and ultimately pulled us out of the pit, washed us, gave us a new garment, made us a new person, new creation in Christ, saved us from the penalty of our sin, and ultimately saved us to uh, our loving and, 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 and gracious God. If we really come to understand the depth of our sin, we would never even imagine thinking in terms of the rhetorical question that Paul asked. If we really understand our depravity, our lostness, our hopelessness, then when grace came and saved us, we would never slap the hand of grace and say, well, I guess I can do whatever I want now. Can you? Arguably, yes, but would you? You know, the response to grace is one that flows naturally out of a heart of love and worship for what's been given. Uh, why would I ever uh, strike back at the hand that gave me such a gift? So Paul asked that question because it's nonsensical to think that a believer would ever sort of follow the line of reasoning that now that I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want, no matter how much it might offend God. Technically, can you? Paul said, I can do all things, but not all things, or all things are lawful for me, but not all things profit. You could, but one would have to really wonder if you know the Lord to have that kind of a mindset and attitude. Again, we, we judge a tree by its fruit. Uh, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. That's the natural expression of what a good tree does and what a bad tree does. So the idea of grace is one that is liberating and rich and freeing and causes us to fly and to soar free of the shackles of of the laws pulling us down because of our sinful natures and everything. It's not a license for sin. It's actually the power not to. It's the power to fight against the temptations and to resist. But it's also there to cover us when we do fail. It's a gift. It's a balm in Gilead. It's a it's a salve for, you know, for for the 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 continuing sores that are healing from our sinful past lives and everything that our BC days and everything, not past lives in terms of like living before, but just our before Christ days, our days of, you know, before we knew him. So grace is something that is to be taken full advantage of, but never taken for granted. You know, the heart and mind of a believer is one of response to the goodness and grace of God and responding in kind, demonstrating uh, a deep and abiding love and thanksgiving to the one who reached down into the miry pit that we were in and pulled us out and washed us off and set us on a rock. So we'll continue to study this subject of grace. We'll continue to look into these things as Paul wrote about them as we make our way through the book of Romans. I encourage you to read Romans and Galatians together, really, to kind of get a, a full sense of this argument, this discussion, and uh, this treatise, really, on grace. But uh, until next time, just I encourage you to do that. But for now, we'll just wrap up. And Father, we thank you so much for the beautiful life-giving gift of grace. Thank you, Lord, that we are free and forgiven, 
Uh, We stand redeemed in your sight as those who are believers in Christ, Father, receiving the gift that only you could give and that only could be accomplished through that finished work of Christ. So we love you, we thank you and praise you, and ask you, Father, to help us to walk in grace, to live by grace, to share the gospel in grace, to be gracious to one another. Certainly we who have received much would love much. We've been forgiven much. We love much. So, Father, we just thank you and commit ourselves to you anew in your grace and because of your grace. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, feel free to comment, reach out, email, and uh, look forward to corresponding with you. And, um, uh, and until next time, we will catch you later, but God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. Amen. <laughs>